So everybody has a copy of the Bible, yes? Pick up where we left off at last week and give a, 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 a kind of step into what we're dealing with. We are dealing with something called the F train. Again, the F train is just an illustration. That's all it is. But hopefully it's a helpful one. Has anybody been noticing that your cars are a little bit more out of whack than what you thought they were? Anybody? Would anybody like the little trains? I've got some trains left. Some of you would like them. Excellent. Zach, do you care to help me? If you wouldn't mind. Pass this down. Got to do something around here. That's a joke. Come on. Oh, here. I'm sorry. I don't care how he feels. I'm just interested in the facts. Just kidding. Anybody else? We good? Oh, man. That's why he's doing it. He's quick. Anybody else? We good? Right here? Yes? It won't hurt you. It's not a real train. It's okay. Everybody has to make choices in life. And not only making choices, everybody has an authority in any given situation in life. There's always somebody in charge of something. Raise your hand if you're in charge of something or someone. Okay? Raise your hand if somebody is in charge of you. Same people if not more. Raise your hand if no one's in charge of you. I wonder where Tom went, okay? (laughs) He obviously vacated. (laughs) I know what question he's going to ask. Everybody has an authority to answer to. There is some standard of truth or an expectation that is set in any situation of which we are answerable. That immediately implicates us as people of personal responsibility. One thing that we looked at was the fact that we've got to have an unchanging standard of truth. We've got to have facts of a situation. You've got to have something that is always true if you're going to have a foundation to stand on. Some of you fish. Yes? I can say catch fish, right? Not kill fish. Okay, I said catch a deer. Some of you guys lost it. But in catching fish, the more that you do it, the more you start to learn some things, right? Where they're biting, what kind of bait's going to work, whether or not you put enough uh, line in your reel. Anybody ever cast it out and you just kept going and just me? I'll never forget that. My grandfather passed away, and one of the things that I inherited was his, his tackle box and his rod and reel. And so uh, I went out to fish one day, and all, all I knew was what he had taught me the two or three times we had gone. My friend and I are sitting out there, and I go to cast out, and I you know, fix this bait on here, and I'm like, surely it's got to do something. It's huge. And, all right, here we go. And I cast it out like that, and it just kept going. <laughs> all the way out of the rod and so I threw the rod in the water and quit that was it no fishing for me but as you fish more you learn things and you know that there are always certain truths you're going to find let's just be really basic if you're going to fish you got to have water right that's a truth and it's so true sometimes we overlook the fact that it's true in order to fish you've got to have some way to Catch the fish, right? So that's a little bit more like, okay, we're, we're talking more mechanics here, but you've also got to have what? you got to have fish, or you don't catch any fish. Why do they restock ponds all the time? 
Because people have been catching fish. Sometimes it's the simple truths that elude us. And that's what I'm finding by and large whenever we live our lives. God has a truth and he has spoken authoritatively in many different situations. So our engine, our facts, are the truth of God's word and what he has said and most manifestly made known to us in these last days, as Hebrews 1 tells us, by the Lord Jesus Christ. Only in facts are power. Only in facts. Nothing else has power. We like to think they have power, but they don't. And so what we looked at last week is, what if we get our cars out of alignment? What if we take the car of faith and put it up front? Faith is what you truly believe about something. It is you having a confident conviction that something is true. What is a confident conviction that you have? Somebody share it with me. No one is confidently convicted of anything? I find that hard to believe. This, what's that? What? Madison's weird. You are confidently convinced of that. You look a little embarrassed, are you sure? Okay, he's convinced. I don't even know where to go with that. But he's convinced that that's true. What are the facts of the situation? How do you remedy the idea that Madison is weird? Because what does it cause you to do in that, in that exchange? By you thinking that, what does it cause you to do? Reject it? Stay away from them? Okay. What did you say, Roger? Judge them. That's easy, isn't it? So how do we rectify that confident conviction? Madison is full of people. It's a lot of times what we believe about a situation that will keep us from what's real about the situation. Madison is full of people. Jesus died for people. Everybody see the connection? Doesn't matter if they're weird. It'd be really interesting if I showed you guys some pictures of me from 15 and 20 years ago. Do you guys know I used to have dreadlocks? Yeah? Yep. In fact, Emily's not in here. I showed Emily the picture of me with dreadlocks. Yeah. Yeah. All beeswaxed up, matted, didn't wash it for forever. Big, thick, yeah. What? Did it itch? A little bit it did. Whenever you would run it under the water, just all this black stuff would come out. It was great. See, there's things about me that are scary. Thank you, Maxine. Everybody remember, this is Grace Bible church okay but what we often believe about things can keep us from operating according to the facts of a situation and we don't like it when our convictions our faith is messed with the reason is is because when our faith is jostled by the facts of scripture we all of a sudden have to rethink and change what we're believing about a situation why is that because the authority has spoken. Does that make sense? And so when we find people that say that they're religious, I'm a religious person. Well, you can be convinced, you can have faith in something all day long, but if it is not of substance and it is not truth, it still falls in the category of unbelief. We talked about how everybody's dealing with an identity problem. Identity problem. Some of us are characterized by our jobs, that's our identity. Some of us are characterized by our role 
in a familial setting. Some of you, when you became grandmothers, lost your ever-loving minds. Don't play like you didn't. Because my mom and my mother-in-law did. All of a sudden, something becomes different. And what would have never been allowed when I was a kid is all of a sudden spring break at their house. Look, I got them suckers, every color. What are you doing? Identity causes you to act irrationally. Social media. How many of you live on Facebook? Okay, at least you admit it. Right? I just can't wait to post about what's going on today and what I did. And here's a picture and here's a poem. And what's that person doing? I can't believe she cut her hair like that. Right? Girl, that eyeshadow looks so bad. Don't do that. But we do that. And that's what identifies us. And to be honest, let's, let's think about it. A lot of us are a lot more comfortable with who we are online than who we are in person. Isn't this why dating sites always have, yeah, that's her picture, but that ain't her, right? Because they're a lot more comfortable in the fantasy. They want people to believe something different than the facts of the situation. Everybody see that? So that's where you run into a problem when faith is the lead car. But today we're going to look at feelings. Feelings running the lead car. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 11. When feelings are the lead car, I feel that, well, if it feels good, do it. I'm hooked on a feeling, right? (laughs) Wow. Emily, did you hear all that singing? A lot of people just want to join the choir. There it is. Feelings, right? More than a feeling. Let's hope so. Good grief. Because feelings have no basis, no substance. In fact, I'm going to let you in on the secret about feelings. Feelings are simply the mask that is expressing the faith. No one ever just does something off of feeling, do they? Don't you have to be convinced that it's true? In fact, in our legal system, Pete, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't the fact that you thought through something, a crime, before you commit it, they always label it as premeditated? That means that you rolled it over in your mind to be convinced that something was happened before the action. Some crimes are committed in a blind rage. But even in that split instance, we were convinced that that was the best course of action. And usually, not usually, almost all the time, you find that that course of action was completely self-serving. Always. Always. Now, understand, and I'll say it again, I said it two, three weeks ago, feelings are not bad. Feelings are really good. It's good that we have them. God gave them to us. But when they are in the lead car, we all become nut jobs. And I'm not even kidding. How many people have dealt with somebody that is being steered by their feelings? Okay? How are you doing with those people? It's not good, is it? Irrational. Not thinking clearly at all. You sometimes were like, Do you even live where I live? Because you find something else has become the accepted 
truth that is pushing their car forward or that they think is pushing it forward when it really has no power at all, you kind of wonder why they're frustrated. So one thing I wanted to do with deal some, is deal with some of the common emotions and show how when feelings try to get up front, and remember what feelings are really doing, are resting closely with faith. In other words, feelings show you the symptoms. Faith is really what the root of the problem is. We're believing something other than the facts of the situation. Look at Matthew 11. We looked at this a while back, but I want us to see it again. Look at verse 2. Now when John, this is John the Baptist, while imprisoned, heard of the works of Christ. Now stop. He heard what Jesus was doing while he was in prison. Right? Good things, right? Jesus doing good things? I mean, that's kind of like the Sunday school answer, right? Absolutely. And so it probably came across John's mind, wait a second, I was the forerunner for you. I was letting people know that I'm not worthy to tie your sandals. We're baptizing people with the baptism of repentance so that they would believe on you when you came. And I'm in prison. And you're supposed to be the Messiah. And you're not ruling. But you're here. What is going on? And so notice, because of the present circumstances, because of what he expects, what he feels ought to be happening... His F train is out of whack. So look what he does. He sent word by his disciples and said, Are you the expected one or shall we look for someone else? Notice that he's doubting. Everybody see that? Doubt very much rests in what we believe about a situation, but it's a feeling, is it not? Anybody ever been overcome with doubt? Good grief, just read a Charlie Brown cartoon. You don't have very long to find that one. Doubt. It's everywhere. It plagues our society. And that's what this, well, that might be true for you, not true for me. A lot of that comes from the fact of the idea we can't really know. We can really know. Notice that even with all of the privileged information and calling and ministry and the results that he saw God do in front of his eyes, John is in a situation where he's doubting. In fact, we would probably say that he may be entering into depression at this point. So watch what happens. Are you the expected one or shall we look for someone else? I love that Jesus doesn't send back by way of his disciples a smackagram. <laughs> he doesn't do that. He doesn't chide him. He doesn't tear him down. He doesn't say, well, if you were a good Christian at all, you would have believed this to be earth. All right, no eating sour lemons here on Jesus' part. But look what he does. Here's what's interesting. Notice, he sympathizes with John's doubts and he corrects his F train. Notice it says here, Jesus answered and said to him, go and report to John what you hear and see. Now, that's weird because didn't John already hear what was going on with Jesus? But notice his problem was he wasn't believing what he heard. Everybody see that? He was letting something else creep up and take the lead car. Here's what he says. Verse 5, the blind receive sight and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Now, John is a smart man and he knows his Old Testament. 
So as Jesus is bringing forward, this is happening, this is happening, this is happening. Have you noticed in your translation there's a lot of caps in there that's going on in the NASB? All caps in those things? The reason is, is because they are quoting portions of the prophet Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah 29, Isaiah 35, Isaiah 61. And all of those passages deal with the characteristics of who the Messiah would be in Jesus Christ. What is Jesus doing? He is addressing John's doubt by laying facts before him that are taking place in front of his eyes that completely correspond with the truth that has been given. He's setting the facts up forward so that John will have the power to continue forward. Does everybody see that? How is doubt and depression overcome? It's overcome by having sound truths of which to plant your feet. Some of you might not like that. Sometimes when a pastor speaks to depression, some people get real weird about it. Don't think for a minute that I don't understand what depression is. I've had a lot of experience with with people that are close to me that are clinically depressed. And let's be honest, I think Pastor Steve would amen this. Depression is almost a requirement to be a pastor. It is. It's part of it. It comes with it. In fact, there would be weeks on end where Charles Spurgeon was laid up in bed because he couldn't even get out of bed. He was so depressed about things. That man's preaching to 7,000 people in an auditorium not using a microphone. How incredible is that? Does there seem to be, I mean, he had an extremely fruitful ministry. Why is he so depressed? Why do you think it is? Who do you think is after him? Think about that. Let's not pretend like he's not real. Greatest thing he wants to do is discourage the saints. He loves pulling out the scalpel of doubt and doing surgical precision work on every one of our minds and hearts. So in order to correct that, we need the truth to get involved and to saturate us so that we begin thinking differently than we are thinking according to reality either god's telling the truth or he's lying it can't be both it's not both and it's either or so doubt depression notice how jesus deals with it gently graciously with john he simply gives him truth to focus his mind on to saturate his being how about this this is always a fun one anger You know what? Let's not do that one yet. Let's do assurance. We talked about assurance, but I'm not assured that everybody bought it. Let's turn to Romans. Romans chapter 8. One of the greatest doubts that Christians have in their lives is the assurance of their salvation. In fact, if you notice out on the wall as you walk out the door, there are two tracks that are right up front. One is called, It's That Simple. And that unfolds very simply the message of salvation by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. But there's another one that's white and blue. And it is called, It Is That Certain. And that is a tract that is for believers. Believers need a tract. Do you guys believe that? A lot of them do. Especially when you get into these other belief systems where there's a, well, you need to be baptized to be saved. Well, you better have confessed this. Well, you need to go here. We well, need to talk to this guy. You need to do this. You need to join this church. Whatever it is, putting extra stipulations on salvation 
That immediately creates doubt because everybody's wondering if they've ever done it correctly. Anybody here been baptized more than once? Why? Did the first one not do the job? I don't make fun of you. I've been baptized four times in really various places. Hotel swimming pools. Because I didn't think that the first one took. We better get it done again. I was always worried. Well, maybe a couple of hairs didn't get under. Everybody see how weird that is. See all the weirdness that I have in my life? It's not you guys. It's me. Don't know. Maybe my dreadlocks prevented the baptismal waters of getting me. Who knows? But it's the assurance of salvation that often escape people. And so they doubt. Feelings get in the lead car. And the train stops. And then we go to Romans 8, verses 38 and 39. For I am convinced. I am convinced. Convinced. Paul is confidently convicted of something. That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Does everybody see when he says the word convinced, he's revealing to his readers where the faith car is, and then he starts loading you with a lot of facts. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. Are you in Christ Jesus? What does it take to get in Christ Jesus? Have you believed in him? Do you believe that he is your savior, that he died in your place? If that is the case, he's now the lead car. And nothing can separate you from God's love. Paul's convinced. Paul is saying, my F train goes like this. Line up your train. Believe in these facts. What can overcome God? Tell me. Nothing. Are you sure? Because we often feel that he's distant. Or he's not listening. Or he's not there. Or my sin was so bad. Maybe I was able to undo the fingers of God's grip on me. Is that true? Good grief, I hope not. Let's give one that people really love. 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 2. This is a great assurance verse as well. I'm going to have to pronounce some Greek, so Mary Cooper, just shake your head yes or no if I got it. 2 Timothy 2, verse 13. Just this one verse. I have found that this one verse has caused more troubles in my conversation with people than any other verse I could ever bring up. Because it's so simple, it's so plain, it's so beautiful, it is so true, and people can't handle it. Here it is. If we are faithless, aposteo, is that correct? Close enough, I love it. It's never yes, it's always, they're hand grenades I'm throwing. Anyway. Hand grenades and horseshoes. Apisteo. The idea is the ah on the beginning of it. Pistis is the idea of faith. Yes? We we know that. Faith, believing, that whole idea. Pistis, pistuo. It's a Greek word for faith and believing, okay? But when you add the ah in front of it, what does that do to a word? It negates it. It means... It means unbelieving. No longer Believing. Anybody know somebody that was on fire for the Lord at one time that has walked away and no longer goes to church, want anything to do with believers, is unbelieving? Anybody? Me? Okay. We all know, don't we? 
Guess what the beauty of God's grace is? They're still saved. Why is that? Well, look at what the scripture says. If we are faithless, if we are unbelieving, He remains faithful. Why? Because our salvation is based on His faithfulness, not my faithfulness. Praise the Lord! That right there conquers Monday, doesn't it? It gets Monday by the throat and throws it to the ground. We don't even have to worry about it anymore. Why is that? Because it's all Him. And He's batting a thousand. And I'm so thankful. Notice He remains faithful for, here's the explanation, He cannot deny Himself. Let's remember this, guys. Salvation is that sin exists. That sin is completely contrary to a holy and righteous God who in his loving grace and care has designed the human race and knows every one of us intimately and personally because he is the one who put us together. So the problem that needs to happen is, is who's going to take care of the sin problem? It's not us. We only have one life. Therefore, we can only die for one sin. But I hate to tell you, we got a lot more than one sin. We know that, right? Okay. So we need somebody who is perfect to pay for the sin. In comes Jesus Christ, God himself. I have a sin problem with God. So God is going to take care of it. And why can't he deny himself? Because it's both God. The sheer fact that salvation pours over onto us, we're just gracious benefactors. Thank you, God. I had nothing to do with this whole... In fact, I caused the problem. But I had nothing to do with the solution. The solution is all you. If the solution is all Him, and He took care of all your sin to begin with, there is nothing you could ever do that would render you unsaved again. Now, disobedient, and will the Lord bend you over His knee and spank you because you are a disobedient child? Well, yeah, He's just a good dad. He disciplines His kids because He loves them. Yeah, don't just think all of a sudden I got this get into heaven free ticket. You can do that and you can do whatever you want, but somehow consequences cease to exist. We must not know God. There's always consequences for action. So sometimes assurance is robbed from people. What do the scriptures say? Get the fact car up there. Let's move on to the next one. Anger. Turn to John. Or I'm sorry, James. Forgive me. James 1. Anybody ever get angry no you guys don't know how mad that makes me that you said that (laughs) raise your hand if you're a parent you know don't you you can tell by looking at my face you know i don't even need to say anything and you're like love him to death where's what what woman oh yeah where's the lady (laughs) yeah If you don't know what we're talking about, listen to last week's sermon. (laughs) Thankfully, he hasn't remembered that. That's good. I'm hoping we calmed it with the whole, do not repay evil for evil. (sighs) See, we had to get get facts out there in order to lead that car forward or he wasn't going to have it. But you know, sometimes you wonder when you're talking to your child, anything going on up there? Or is it just cartoons and cereal all the time? We get angry when you're driving and that lady pulls into that spot. (laughs) They cut you off. You're waiting in line for coffee and somebody thinks that you're just, I don't know, a donut model or something and comes right in front of you and steps in. 
And then they turn around and they say, oh, I'm sorry, were you in line? Yes! <laughs> Don't stand between me and my coffee! There's some things we probably sit here and we go, you know what, I really get angry about this, whatever that is, you know. It's the thing that pushes your button. It's the thing that your spouse knows pushes your button, maybe. We probably don't want to bring that up. That's a different sermon. But when it happens, there's something in you that just, you can feel it, right? All of a sudden, you get the tremors. You can almost see like those old cartoons. The top of your head is going to come off. Smoke is going to pour forth. Your eyeballs are turning red. You can feel it. Your F train's out of whack, is it not? How many people, everybody's done this. You've had a situation and you reacted in anger and you immediately knew it was the wrong thing and then you feel regret, yes? And here's the crazy thing, you can't take that stuff back. You can't take it back. Now let's talk about anger for a second because a lot of times, well, it's just feelings. Here's what anger is a result of. Anger is a result of the belief, the confident conviction that you should have control in every situation. Why do we get mad? Because things didn't go my way. Who said your way was the best way? I did. Right? That's the argument. I know what's best. Don't argue with me. I'm the one who's right. Unless you're in that position of authority, unless you are laying forward the facts, you have no claim to saying this is the right way. Now, we don't like that because that unhinges us from the power we think we hold. Guys, I think it's very interesting that Jesus, being in the form of God, did not consider that something to, to make much light of, to be attained in that time. Instead, he took the form of a, what? A servant. We know this. You see what I'm saying? The idea that lowliness was the way to go. It wasn't asserting his own rights. Could not have Jesus just spoken a word and everybody died while he was hanging on the cross? He could have. He could have. But love and truth kept him from doing that. Now, here's why this is important for us to know. Because there is a time and a place that it will happen, and it will happen one day. When he returns and bursts through the clouds, it says a sharp sword, two-edged sword comes out of his mouth. Is that literal? Is that figurative? I'll be honest with you. Jesus is so cool, I don't know. But I'll tell you this, when he speaks and people die, truth will become very clear at that moment. There won't be any more confusion about what's going on. And it even says that he treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God. Everybody know that anger is not a sin. Anger is not a sin. If it's about righteous things. The estimation is 4,400 babies are aborted every day in America. I'm righteously angry about that. That's something to be upset about. You see what I'm saying? But because Kentucky didn't make it past Auburn, I'm angry. But is it really worth it? In fact, it was funny. I came downstairs. How's your game going? Right? I turned it off. They're going to lose. They're playing terrible. You ought to see my mom. I'll tell you stories about my mom later. And Beth looked at me and she goes, just because your team lost this game, don't take it out on me. Because <laughs> she knew. She knew that the feeling was leading the train. What's the fact? 
It's basketball, and it doesn't matter, and a hill of beans in eternity. Yeah, Jesus is already a Kentucky fan. We ain't got to worry about it. <laughs> Moving on. Must have been some ongoing sin. He wasn't with them that day. I don't know. <clears throat> Look at James 1, verse 19. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear. Notice that. Listen up. Quick to hear. Slow to speak. And slow to what? Notice that. In other words, when somebody drops news on you that is going to excite you into an angry fury, stop for a second and listen. Is it worth you being so irrational about? Is this really a situation that you have control over? Or is this something to where your pride has pushed itself much farther than it should be and you think you own it all? Everybody see that? Yes? Or does this hit too close to home for everybody? So, so notice what's going on here. Okay, thank you. Verse 20. For, here's the explanation, and here's what I have to remember. When my son is not listening, when he won't come brush his teeth, brush your teeth, right? What do I have to remember? Here it is. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. My personal anger in a situation does not end with God's righteousness being the end-all, be-all form on display. All it does is show somebody who's controlling, easily angered, and nobody wants to hang out with you. That's the idea. Because my rights, I should have it this way. And we let that fuel us. Now, are there good reasons to be angry? Yeah, there are. Turn with me real quick to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. I think it's 4. It is 4. Ephesians 4, 26. Ephesians 4, 26. Be angry. Thank you, Paul. Whew. Right? No, no, no. You can't say anything, Paul. Let me know. I can be angry. But notice what it says. Be angry and do not what? There's the line. You can be angry about stuff. You can be really upset that things are not going according to the way that you know God would want it to go because you know His truth. The fact of the situation. But don't sin over it. Don't use it as an excuse to sin. And notice what else it says. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now that doesn't mean before 10 o'clock tonight or whenever the sun's going to go down that you've made that anger better that's not the idea the idea is don't let it prolong because it will fester and you will become bitter anybody know anybody that's bitter right you know them from a distance you ever notice that it's never like oh my best friend is so bitter we just have the best time that doesn't happen your friend is bitter and they live over there and you're okay with it that anger has to be resolved You've got to deal with it. And you have to think through. A quick to hear the situation. Slow to speak. Don't be rash about it. Don't just... Blah, 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 blah. Don't do that. Our mouths are always getting us in trouble for everything. In fact, that's everything that James talked about in the previous chapter. Chapter 3 of what he's doing. Or, we're in the wrong... Whatever. 3. In James 3, it talks about how dangerous the tongue is when it gets out of control. Because it's so quick to speak. If we think about what we're going to say, and obviously Jerry Blystone has that spiritual gift is all get out. 
right? And you're wondering, is he going to kill me or what's going to happen? Now, Jeremy, exactly. But you wait. And if you're going to be angry, you deal. And you've got to get truth leading the cars again. Notice what it says in 27. And do not give the devil, there it is, an opportunity, a foothold. You want to open your life up for the devil to reach in and grab a hold of your ankles? Guess what you do? You let anger go on so long where you've sinned and you've not resolved it. There's the problem. Notice that these facts put the cars in the proper place. I wanted to do question and answer, but we don't have time. How about revenge? That's always a fun one. Let's go to Romans 12. And if you have a pen, some things I didn't put in the notes, but some things I could give to you real quick. Uh, Two big ones that people often deal with. Feelings that try to lead the car. Go ahead and turn to Romans 12. You can just listen if you want to write it down later. Uh, Number one, anxiety. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. And 8, actually. But a lot of people deal with anxiety. And if we would just apply Philippians 4, 6, 7, and 8, we would find out that anxiety becomes much less of a problem because we're, we're, we're enacting the prescription just as God has prescribed it to us. Guys, if we never follow the prescription, we never get better. So notice, he gives us the difference maker in Philippians 4. Another one is forgiveness. People have a really difficult time with the idea of forgiveness. Ephesians 4, 32. Meditate on that. Chew on it. Let that be your devotional every day for this week. And you will have a lot different perspective. But you've got to get those facts of God's word up front. And we've got to believe that they are true in order for our feelings to fall into place how they should. Revenge. Romans 12, look at verse 19. Never. Never. How often is that? Exactly. Don't ever, 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 ever do this, okay? Never take your own revenge, beloved. Everybody see that? Brothers and sisters, you're looking for that opportunity to take revenge on the person that wronged you? Why? Because I deserve better. I didn't put all these years into this situation for it to end up like this. I want more. I expect more. Everybody notice there's a lot of I. In those reasons. Living the Christian life is not I, but Christ. That's the difference. Never, never take your own revenge, ever. But, and to me, this is much scarier. This is much scarier than anything I could do. Leave room for the wrath. Everybody see of God's in italics? Notice it's added there just to tell you what it is, but let's be honest, you read this, you know what it is. Leave room for the wrath. In fact, Romans is about wrath. If you read through it, it is a constant theme that is threaded all throughout this book. Leave room for the wrath, for it is written, vengeance is what? And who will repay? He will. Vengeance is the Lord's. He will repay, and here's what he'll do and taking care of how you've been wronged. He will do it precisely. He will do it adequately. He won't go overboard in a repayment for how we've been wronged. 
There are some people. I saw somebody's Twitter account. Somebody was a was a uh, conservative that voted for something uh, against passing uh, green gases, whatever bill, environmental friendly stuff. And the thing on her Twitter account was, "When are we going to shoot this guy?" Now you can be all rubbed wrong about the leaves all day that you want to, but when you think that something like that merits death. You've got a revenge problem. Everybody see that? You've got to, in fact, you're not thinking coherently or clearly about anything. It's probably why she's in college. I don't think she was like that before she got in college. But that's scary. That's scary to think where we are. Oh, you did this to me, so I'm going to do this to you. Is that where we are? Do we know anything about what it is to be fair in those situations? Here's the thing. God knows that we don't. So what we do is we place vengeance in his hands. We trust that he will repay because he knows exactly, precisely how to take care of the situation. See, do we believe that's true? Do we believe that this is correct? No, leave room for it. Let God get in there and work on it. Don't get in there and do it and sin in the process and crowd God's opportunity out to handle it justly. What is the solution? The solution to every situation we are ever going to face is this. Now, if you don't believe that, that's okay, but that tells me what your lead car is. And I would be very interested in knowing, well, what facts are more true than this? See, that's the problem. We've got to come up with evidence. If we're going to stake a claim on how we live our lives and move forward with conviction, we've got to have a reason. If God has spoken, he gives me all the reason that I need. So, where has God lied? Anywhere? Why do we avoid the facts as a go-to result? Why? Why do we avoid it? I came up with two reasons. Number one, because we've bought into a lie. We think that something else is more true than what God has said. Well, that's not true because my friend said this. Your friend's not an authority. We're talking about God. I'll never forget, I was talking with somebody one day and I said, the word of God says this. And I read it and they looked at me square in the face and said, well, your Bible may say this because I wrote it. I mean, what does that mean? Notice it's a defense mechanism. I'm so convicted of the truth of what ought to be happening, I'm going to throw up a shield and try to deflect it back to you. And here's what the actual response was. But the people that I have been reading who read the Bible... Where's the authority? Everybody see it? And what are they believing? Not the Bible. Everybody see how scary that is? Here's another reason why we don't like the facts up front. We like to sin. I think that's the point that we need to come to. What keeps us from our trains moving forward is the unbelief that we've bought into that somehow, even though sin feels good, even though it's nice to get away with it every once in a while, what we ultimately realize is there is a creator that everyone is answerable to. You cannot escape it. You cannot escape it. And we would much rather operate in the unbelief. Even I've heard people say, well, I know it's wrong, but stop. Put your butt down. That came out weird. (laughs) And go back to what you just said because you're telling me what you know to be true. I know it's wrong. How do they know it's wrong? Does everybody see that? God has so designed you and I to where we testify that His truth is right. But there's something in us that just wants to keep it closed and go against Him. 
Let me encourage you with this. I know we're going long. It's okay. Forgive me. I'm not trying to bore anybody, but man, this is important. You ever see why I didn't get through this last week? Imagine what last week would have looked like, okay? There's the grace. Okay, thank you. But here's something we need to think about, guys. Where are you with God's Word? Well, I believe that it's true, the inerrant, infallible, inspired Word of God given straight from the Holy Spirit as He carried men along in order to document it. That's cool. Where does it look like here? You know that. You can regurgitate that. But has it settled in such a way as to where you understand if God has spoken, then the Bible is His commentary on existence. And He is always telling us the truth about every situation. My fear is that sometimes we don't believe the Bible is telling us the truth about our feelings, but we've never tested to see if it's true. I'm feeling all kinds of anxiety, but I never once sat down with prayer and supplication, making my requests known to God with all thanksgiving, giving them up to Him, because what He's promised me in return is that the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. Is God lying, or is God telling me the truth? You see how that works? But a lot of times, people don't take the time to pray about it. Supplications, constantly bringing it. And everybody leaves us out. Giving Him thanks. Sitting down to think of things to thank God for automatically puts your mind in a healthier direction. Because Satan wants to get in here and run house. Guys, he's not an authority. He has no facts. He has no power unless we believe and put his lies in the lead car. Does everybody see this? This is so detrimental to how you will live the rest of your life, I promise you. I'll shut up. Let's pray. God, I pray that you convict our hearts and our minds at this moment regarding this truth, how important it is to know your word, embrace your word, be saturated with your word, be completely filled. We are commanded that the word of God is to dwell in us richly. We are told if we abide in you and your words abide in us, that we can ask whatever we wish and it will be granted for us. Father, thank you for mercy and grace beyond all comprehension that we could understand, and we might even believe it, uh, feeling like we can't even come to the, to, the, to, the, to the nitty-gritty of it, Lord. We just feel like we're on the outside looking into your truth sometimes. Lord, we need to step into it. We need to embrace it. We need to take it up for every situation. It is our instruction manual. Help us, Father, to realize that every page pours forward your love for us and your truth for us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.